Uh, so I just want to welcome everyone tonight. Welcome all of you. <clears throat> We're continuing our uh, investigation into the fundamentals of Dharma. I'm uh, sort of off on my own on this packaging of Dharma points because there are no fundamentals of Dharma which you'll find in the literature. <clears throat> Although just over the years I've been teaching, I know that many people have missed significant points along the way. And so I thought I'd spend a year uh, just addressing those points that I see people skipping over or just not bringing the depth of interest to those that they do with some of the more esoteric questions. And may I say that those esoteric questions don't open until those fundamental questions or fundamental points have been uh, addressed sufficiently. So it's not, we're not going back to be beginning Dharma here. We're really looking at what it is that uh, may keep us in check from looking at deeper issues because some of these points have not been adequately explored. And so tonight I would like to talk about wisdom. <laughs> just a small one. Just a <laughs> and let me just start by saying, you know, that, that the point of practice uh, is not to be mindful. Uh, I can hear a gasp from some of you. Uh, mindfulness is a tool, uh, and, uh, but the point is to see things clearly, and mindfulness is the tool that helps us do that. But some of us get so enamored by the tool that we forget to use the tool appropriately. It's a little bit like carrying a flashlight around and just loving the flashlight, changing its batteries frequently and showing everybody the beauty of its, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> but never using the flashlight for what its point and purpose is. The point and purpose is to shine a light so that you can see ahead of yourself into the dark. And in this case, the equivalent is ignorance, to see into ignorance, to see where it is that we have refused to go up until this point, to, to see where we have obscured or where we have uh, disfigured or distorted the truth. And the light of our attention shows us not only the areas that we have distorted, but the reasons and motivations for us having distorted those places. And so in order for us to shine the light, we also have to be willing, and these are other fundamental points that we have made earlier in the year, be willing to go where it's difficult because it's where it's difficult that we have decided to turn away and not look, shut down the light, you see? So at some point you begin to see that where we haven't gone is where we most need to go because we hurt in, com in direct proportion to the area of our, uh, of our lack of attention. And uh, there are no greater areas than those areas in which we deny life, which we just simply refuse to accept what it is that's facing us. And so uh, mindfulness is just as good as the holder of the flashlight. That is, if your intention is to only shine the beam of that light on what you would like to see, the beauty of the sunset or whatever other areas of pleasantness that uh, you are enthralled with, then the flashlight will be only that good. It will only show you that. It's only a beam. 
It's only light that's... So, so we have to have a deeper intentionality for ourselves than just the normal and usual ways that we have led our life or our lives are going to be just like we've led them. Because what holds us in place are those areas of difficult that we refuse to look. And if we re continue to refuse to look, there's nothing in the world that's going to make us get over that fact, except our own intention to do so. So you see it all circles back, really all of these circle back into our own sincerity, which at some point will be another foundation or fundamental of the Dharma that I'll talk about. <laughs> They're never ending these fundamentals. But you can see that each, each uh, technique or each tool, each method we use is only as good as the person using it. That's the point. That no method will be a salvation in its own, for its own sake. It can't be when there's the corrupting mind behind, behind it that will disfigure and distort the very instrument that is meant to show us where the corruption lies. So wisdom is what this practice is about. <clears throat> now, I'll talk about wisdom, of course, but when we think of wisdom, I don't know about you, but I think of, you know, sort of a wizened old person who uh, is old and decrepit <laughs> and just had years of experience uh, and uh, just, you know, sort of the uh, wise owl of us all. And... Uh, we begin to sense that life itself, when we live it, the reason that we think of that person as, uh, who is old may also be wise is because years of experience can produce wisdom. I know if, I don't know if you did it, but I certainly did with my grandmother. I, uh, she was perhaps in her 70s at the time that I sat down with her and I, I just looked at her kind of wrinkled hands and I wanted to get this, the meaning of life from her in some way, thinking that she would probably have it. And uh, just sitting there uh, thinking, you know, what I really want her is to tell me what life is, life is in a way that I wouldn't understand it. I didn't know I was asking that question, but I have since understood that that's what I was really asking. You know, you want something about their life experience that will reveal your own. And uh, we often uh, ascribe that to the elderly. And so there, there's, a, there's a kind of wisdom that comes with life that I will call life wisdom. Okay, so I wanna talk about that and I'll talk about a different kind of wisdom. But life wisdom is, is extraordinarily important. It's, uh, we can all have life wisdom or not. It just depends on, like everything else, on how you are through the events of your life. If you turn away and deny them or project them or blame them, then there's, no, there's not going to be any wisdom accrued just through the normal experiences of living. But if you're willing to face them and, like all aspects of wisdom, uh, not turn away from the difficult, but really allow yourselves to 
ingest as much of those experiences as you can. Uh, and you'll grow wise just through the process of living. There's no way you can't do that because if you just keep your eyes open uh, and it's a kind of a passive wisdom in the sense that it's not acting, asking anything from us. It's not asking any journey. It's not asking us to do anything except simply open our eyes to the events that are occurring as they occur and not try to distort them in any way possible. And just, it's like you know, in the days when they used to have film <laughs> and a camera, just opening the film, opening the shutter, uh, there was, it, it would make that contact with, with what was uh, external to that film. And there was an imprint that was made upon that film. And so you can't help but have the imprint of life upon you as you live it. Haven't you noticed that? In fact, I'm sure many of you, or perhaps most of you, have noticed that after a very, a very different cult event, not immediately after it, but sometimes years after it, you'll look back and you'll see that that was a wisening event for you, that that created a context, a perspective about life, perhaps, because wisdom often takes that, that form. And uh, it just shows you something in perspective, or it shows you, it reveals really what life is, having gone through it. And when you are willing to go through it like that, and just expose yourself, then you, you begin to get a sense of perspective within it, don't you? You know about death, because no one gets out of this life alive, and no one almost no one gets out of it without having someone very dear to them die. So all of those are very maturing and seasoning components of life. It's imparting something to us about the nature of life that when you're young, you, we don't necessarily know. And there's no way for someone who has experienced life and has the wisdom that that experience provides to be able to communicate to the young that wisdom. You can communicate the knowledge, people are going to die, you're going to get sick, but wisdom is something different than just the knowledge that we express about life. It's, it's much more personally in contact, it's much more of an integration of the experience itself rather than just knowledge about the experience. And all of these also hold true to the next kind of wisdom I'm going to speak about, but this lays a foundation, this life wisdom lays a foundation for the next area of wisdom to be pursued in that life, because once you get a sense of what this is about, and it doesn't contain the hopes and treasures that we thought it did, or the gusto and excitement and entertainment that we hoped that would be the definition of our life, once we see through through the tinsel of it, then there is a reorganization of the point of living, isn't there? You don't do that philosophically, although you might. It's much more organically, much more 
It's much more system, systemic. It's much, it's, you just begin to withdraw uh, enthusiasm for it. And I don't mean that you don't have joy. I mean that you don't count on events to, to provide that joy. You don't look for happiness within circumstances. Not happiness that is going to be sustained. And so when you really see life and it's and it's grist. It's a, it's a very sobering experience. And many of us would prefer to continue to pretend that it will provide us something that it can't possibly provide. So some of us go through, and even at this level of wisdom, and you find many, many people who are elderly who have very little wisdom at all because they've just turned away from from what has been presented to them. So uh, it's, I find that life wisdom, although it's passive, is not uh, abstract at all. <clears throat> and uh, basically, if you're willing to, be, uh, to abide within your life experiences without blaming them, without projecting them, you will and cannot help but become wise. That's all. That's all that's required. So, seems simple enough, doesn't it? Now, the meditations that allow life wisdom uh, to uh, be enhanced are meditations of alertness, right? Because you've got to be available to life in order for it to to communicate its experiences to you, so alert attention is certainly an important aspect of wisdom. So that's where mindfulness comes in. That alert attention is mindfulness, but more important than the alert attention is your willingness to see it. I mean, that's the intention behind the mindfulness, you know, because you're, you're not going to turn away. I'm not going to turn, no matter how bad it gets, I'm not turning away. And so, that, with that intention, and we've spoken about intention, we've spoken about mindfulness, you can see how those set the course for wisdom to be, uh, to be etched upon our consciousness. And uh, contemplation, life wisdom, it, there's a, uh, I've, I've spoken about it a couple of weeks ago, I think. I just want to mention a little more because one of the ways that you can bring a lot of life wisdom in is by contemplation and reflection. And this practice doesn't really honor so much or doesn't speak about contemplation and reflection. But <clears throat> so just look and see how it is for everybody. You don't have to go through every difficulty in order for you to uh, understand the nature of that experience. So if you just are willing to reflect and like when other people are going through difficulties and just get a sense of the sampling of life that's in front of you as well as your own and reflect upon that. Just spend some time reflecting upon the nature of what life is and the suffering it holds and the uh, ways that People do suffer and their expectations and the questions about how they suffer. And that all opens up 
the wisdom within us. And from time to time when you find yourself in a lot of contraction, but unable to really bring the deliverance at hand during that period of difficulty, after the event, you can bring it back up. You can say, okay, what went on there? What's going on here? What went on during that time? Let me look at my, and, and you, as you bring the memory back up, you'll have the same feelings you had during the actual event. Those feelings aren't memory. Those feelings are actually expressing themselves because the memory's at hand. So you can re-examine our own relationship to that experience concurrent with the memory arising. Uh, so that's another way you can do this thing. It's just to gain a sense of breadth about it. I mean, it's when, when we only look from our own isolated position, then it's easy to blame ourselves for all the difficulties that are occurring because, well, I'm never up to the task anyway, so of course I failed. And, but when you see other people inevitably failing and crumbling in front of your eyes, then it's, less, it's not as easy to th assume your own insufficiency, you see? Well, wait a minute, maybe this isn't about how awful of a person I am or how disadvantaged I am or whatever. Maybe this is inherent in the very way that life works, the very nature of it. Okay, so now all of the wisdom, and this is an important point, life wisdom most effectively it modifies our narrative about life. It modifies our inward sp speak, right? So perhaps we rose with each new event with a lot of expectation that that event would be a salvation and only to see that the events changed and it didn't provide the satisfaction I want on. So after a number of those, your narrative changes when something new occurs to you or something excited that you've invested in, stock market crashes or whatever, you miss your connecting flight or whatever it is, just over the course of your life because you've missed a number of flights and seen a number of crashes on Wall Street, your narrative change changes. You just, it's just not that significant. Right? It's in perspective. It's in perspective in that narrative. The change of your narrative of what you say to yourself about events and about yourself within those events, as that changes, uh, you get uh, lighter. Okay? It's, so whatever it is that you invested in life to provide that life, lightness or enthusiasm or excitement, when it's no longer invested in life, now you are your own lightness because you, you just don't expect it to pay off. And that doesn't lead to despair, although it could. It could lead to despair and cynicism and bitterness if you're using the life to prove that it isn't worth living and a, you know, a lot of negative attitude. But if you're using it to actually see what life is without building an attitude about it, then you'll just see that it's not going to pay off. And that actually allows you to get lighter, more joyful, more buoyant, more just 
You just move with things in a different way. That's extraordinarily helpful, makes life a lot easier. But unfortunately, for most people, they have to wait a number of decades because we're talking about life wisdom. And when you're 20, you usually don't have enough of it to have had the experience. Now, some 20-year-olds amaze me. Some teenagers amaze me in that way because for some reason they picked it up very quickly. But most of us must wait for some grain of our features. <laughs> okay, so now that's life wisdom. Now I'm going to move to Dharma wisdom. And I want to talk about Dharma wisdom because Dharma wisdom is a different type of wisdom, although everything I said about life wisdom also holds true to Dharma wisdom. Dharma wisdom is a little, needs a little more training. It's not just available to most people as they go through their life. Part of Dharma is, I mean, they begin to see the nature of life more clearly, that it's not going to provide the happiness that they seek and that it's forever changing and that there's death and dying inevitably within it and all of that. And those, those are tremendous, have tremendous impacts upon the way we look and hold life and what we expect from it. But Dharma wisdom uh, is uh, something a little different than that. <clears throat> it's really seeing, and remember in life wisdom, we adapted the narrative. We changed the narrative as events changed, and we saw through the narrative we were speaking, the untruth of the narrative we were speaking, then we changed the narrative so that it could be in accordance with what we saw life to be. And Dharma wisdom, we, uh, see, uh, it's, uh, we go to the other side of thought itself. We go to the other side of the narrative, to quiet. Now that's a whole different dimension, right? Now you're not going to the other side of the narrative if you still believe in the life you're living. Because the, life you're li the narrative you're speaking is the life you're living. And you have, to see, you have to see the end of the expectations of what the narrative offers you in relationship to life before you ever go to the other side of it. So it's not as if life wisdom is connected to Dharma wisdom. It's very connected. But Dharma wisdom takes a deeper intentionality from us. It calls us deeper. It, it, it has a different level of intention a different level of, of yearning. You know, the, whereas life wisdom was passive because everybody lives. You don't have to do much in order to live. Just stay fed. Dharma wisdom is active. And how is it active? Well, the first thing is that it needs some training. You have to you have to, for most people, <clears throat> not for all, but for most people, sitting and training a focused attention is a part of what is required. And we had talked about the samadhi factor, the stability of attention factor that allows the mind to steady itself. Well, there are a lot of wise people who've never had that uh, achievement of steadying their attention 
they're wise, but they're wise in terms of the ways of the world. They're not necessarily wise on what's on the opposite other side of their thinking. To get to the other side of the thinking requires something more from us. It requires a willingness. It requires an adventuresomeness, a courage that just living doesn't necessarily require. Yes, living requires a certain courage just to stay con connected to the living experience. But this requires, uh, this requires a certain sense. I, 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 words are not coming to me quite as easily around this particular aspect of wisdom. It's harder to speak about. But there's a sense in us that there's more to it than this. And even what life is showing us, there's more to life in its essence than just the experiences of it. And that drives an intentionality and often a view that we want to see what's, what's there. We, want to, we don't want to end this life. We don't want to go through our 70 or 80 years uh, without having, knowing this, without having touched this. It seems like it would almost be a wasted life to me that if we didn't at least encourage an effort towards it. So we do the hard training that's necessary. We learn to stabilize our attention. Now, why would we want to stabilize our attention? Because we realize that our attention is under the governance of thought, that wherever we think, that's where our attention goes, and that wherever we think and our attention goes to that place, we think that, that what we see is what we think what we see. In other words, we see only what our thoughts allow us to see. And at some point, you begin to say that's a very a contrived way of looking at life. It's only what I know it to be. Because my thoughts are conditioned to the knowing of what I have learned about life. When I look through my thoughts, I simply look at my history of knowing. Lamp, right? So that just, you get, so you get so that you think, I'm just, I'm just regurgitating. My experience of life just keeps regurgitating itself forth. I just keep, I just keep replicating it everywhere. Forms change, but I still call it lamp, even if it looks different. You see, it just, nothing, I can't get anything new in here. And there's a desperation in all of us, in this room, for something new. Have you noticed that in yourself? Have you noticed uh, how uh, wonder uh, entices you in ways that uh, something conditional could never? And that sense of wonder, that sense of that's why we love mysteries. That's why we love mystery stories, or we, we love something that says that life is more than what it is. It holds a cue to something beyond just what we have known it to be. And it's that track that gets us on into the Dharma wisdom. 
And the training is awful, to be honest. Who wants to sit around and follow your breath? It's, it's tedious, it's hard early on, it's not fun, uh, and yet we do it for some reason because people who we respect quite likely tell us that there's something outside of the pain we're enduring uh, in just rotely following each breath. And slowly over time we begin to experience that. And this is a very um, active wisdom. The mechanism of the way we see in this type of wisdom is insight. Does that ring a bell with the kind of meditation we're doing? Insight meditation? Insight, let's just talk a little bit about insight, okay? When you just think about what you've seen, you don't see it. You see your opinions and your experience, but you don't see it. So when you're quiet and you're not thinking about what you're seeing and you're seeing it directly as an experience rather than filtered through your thought, then you can see it in a new perspective. That new perspective is like a light bulb flashing. You think, oh, that's an insight. You've all had them. It doesn't always look like a light bulb going off. That's very important. Some people, it never looks that way. You know, those stadiums where lights are flashing everywhere. Some people's uh, Dharma life and journey look like those stadiums. Others look like the opposite of that, a completely black stadium. But it doesn't mean that insight isn't getting in. It just doesn't look quite as dynamic as the lights flashing. And here's how you know, okay? Okay. A year later, after you've done the beginning course, you hear the same lecture and you go, oh, I missed that whole thing. God, I hear completely differently. That means you've had insight all along the way that is taking you down into a much deeper and more profound place than you had when you first heard it through your, just through the screen of your thinking. And so it's very important that people don't get discouraged because they don't, I don't know if I've ever had an insight. You, it doesn't. Just being quiet, just the willingness to sit regularly and be quiet with yourself so that you have an intentionality towards quietude. But that you're not doing it in order to bathe in quietude, you're doing it so that you can just see what life looks like from the quiet side, right? Not from the wild side. <laughs> but from the quiet side. And as you're just willing to have less thoughts about something, more of that other gets in. And you don't even know you just suddenly, not suddenly, but over time, you think, oh, you know, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't know what it was that you don't want to do, but a lot of excess falls away. This is called renunciation. Do you remember last... To, I have to keep you pinned to the previous fundamentals or I'm afraid you're going to forget how they all tie together. So you go, oh, whoa, I got it. I just don't want to do it. The friends fall away, new friends come. What you used to enjoy, you may, that may go on, but uh, 
other forms of enjoyment may come. Uh, you may want to stay at home more. You know, you just want to be quiet more often. You f watch less TV. I don't know. It, everybody's life gets affected. I can promise you that. I just don't know what, in what way it'll be affected. But it will be. So as this gets in and starts changing us, and we feel it, okay, so that's insight working. Now, often you'll have insight into psych psychological problems as well as insights into deep, profound situations. The point of all this wisdom, life wisdom or dharma wisdom, is it needs action. It needs an integration of the insight back into your life. If you just have the realization that something needs to change and you don't do anything about it, well, guess what you're going to look like next year at this time? Exactly in the same predicament. You know, I really need a new job, or I really need this, or I really need that. And nothing happens because you aren't engaging the insight. That's where wise action comes in. Wise action is the willingness not just to sit and expect life to change around you, but for you to take an active place in your own unfolding. You do it because you've seen the truth of what you're doing. You're not doing it because you're restless and just want a different life. You're doing it because you've seen something very important and it's risky. When you change, it's risky. It's much more comfortable to stay within whatever it is you already know. But you can't at some point. I mean, you try. You try, okay, so I'll just pretend that, you know, I'll just wait it out. So five, six, seven years go by and nothing's changed. And then hopefully it bites you enough so that you actually, okay, come on, this is it. Now that's what it needs to, for the system, the organism, to move in relationship to the wisdom. You are, if you're going to abide in wisdom, you have to move in relationship to the wisdom you've seen. It can't be passive only to the wisdom. You have to move. If you see things changing, then you have to start accommodating that and how you hold on and the attachment you have to to the objects of the world, knowing they're going to change, changes everything, doesn't it? So if when you realize a death is going to happen to you, not just to the person next to you, it really changes everything to realize that fact. To realize that fact, you get very serious very quickly. And so you start moving with the wisdom. The wisdom starts moving you, starts evolving you. Right? And that's extraordinarily important. We are not granites outside of this flow. We're not sort of, you know, the water's flowing all around us. We are part of the stream of events. We have to move this thing. And we move it through our willingness to engage ourselves into this action. So I can't say that strongly enough, but I wanted to just make sure that people understood how important that component of insight is. And, you know, you start also realizing that this thing requires a lot of different, of the fundamentals. It requires as a staying within yourself to be wise. You can't expect wisdom to come through your listening to me or someone else or just the tapes that you play. 
that you have to directly involve yourself in this game in order for that wisdom to, to seed itself. Once it's seeded, it will do everything if you follow suit. If you don't resist the wisdom, it will take you for its own ride. It will drive you. If you sit and oh, say, I don't think I can do I don't want to do that. I'll turn, you know, maybe you just, you can go back into your fantasy world at any point in this. Your need to stay protected in your fantasy will be much stronger than the weak little link that you have with wisdom. So the quicker we move into this and allow ourselves to be ingested within this, the better off we'll be. So, you know, the mindfulness is my turning towards the difficult. We've given you some really, really important strategies for letting the wisdom find its course. You know, like letting the wisdom move us and how to how, exposing ourselves to those areas of difficulty, not denying that things are happening, not blaming them on other people. All of these are the clearing out the channels so that wise wisdom, wisdom can, can uh, integrate into our bodies and then wise action can follow the appropriate course once that integration occurs. So living the insight. Now stepping out of the narrative, this is an important point. You know, some of us uh, in Dharma, it's kind of, you want to sort of quiet down, but you don't want to lose everything. So you want your cake and eat it too. So you keep one foot in the narrative and then one foot kind of outside teasingly. And, but, but if it gets too quiet, you go back in and talk about how quiet it is, so that keeps it all stirred up. But we just kind of hesitate to actually give ourselves over to the quiet that's necessary for the revolution to occur. And this is the revolution. And different teachers will speak about this in different ways, and you can hear where they are in relationship to their own quiet. But this whole dimension of quiet, if, if you want this to be a complete, to be complete, then it's only through stillness that that will occur. And you, we have to realize the impact that every thought has upon our consciousness. Because the terrain of thinking is so vastly different than the dimension of stillness. Because see, this is not a breath meditation we're doing. Right? So we sit down and struggle with our breath in order to divide st find stability of consciousness, stability of attention, so that we'd have a light, a flashlight that was steady enough so I could look around with it and we got enamored by the fact that we even had a beam. I love my mindfulness. But then we started seeing the point of the mindfulness and started looking at where we were distorting life. And that's the point of what we're doing. Where are we distorting life? Where are we disfiguring it? Where are we graffitiing it? 
where are we making it our own? And we start looking at that. We start because there's pain there. I mean, if you just follow that sample, simple formula of moving towards the difficult, it will move you right where you are located. Because where you're located is where you're in most pain. And so we, as we start moving this thing in relationship to the difficult and to the noise we're creating, we see that both of those are dead center on me. Now, uh, let me, I'm going to give you some traditional words here because I, want you to, I don't want you to come here for a number of years and not hear traditional Buddhism. You don't hear very much of that from me, but something like this I want to... So awareness, awareness, you, say awareness was listening to a bird, okay? The direct cognizing of that sound is awareness. The knowledge that it's a, a bird is thought. Just the hearing, the awareness itself doesn't carry the, cogn the cognition, doesn't carry uh, the uh, word bird. It just hears. So that's a mind of wisdom. A mind of wisdom isn't making anything out of anything. It's just open space of listening, just being available. But then hindrances, for most of us, come percolating into our consciousness. And those hindrances have such a consuming self-feature to them. I'm tired. I'm aversive. I'm desiring. There's such a strong sense of self in relationship to them that they cloud and confuse the whole space of awareness, of consciousness. So that it doesn't, it can't be, nothing can be seen because we're, it's so cloudy and confused. It's like adding uh, coloring to water. The, pro, the, the thing to remember is, and I think uh, Utejaniya says this very well, he says, defilements are visitors. These obscurations of mind, these, these colorations of consciousness that have us compelled to think in terms of self-centered ways are just visitors. If you're quiet, you don't offer them any focus or truth, they'll clear out. They'll, 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 they'll find, they'll, they'll leave. They require your belief in them in order for them to perpetuate. That's why the mind is often spoken about as being naturally radiant. I just want to give you these words so that when you hear them, it doesn't, they aren't foreign to you. Now, in Tibetan Buddhism, they talk a lot about the radiant mind. I actually had a teacher, Buddha Dasa, Ajahn Buddha Dasa, who talked a lot about the radiance of mind. But just to get a sense of that natural radiance is there and that when we are settled in our meditation without 
trying to do, make it work, which is just a def defilement, when we're not aversive to what it is that's occurring, which is another defilement, when we're not sleepily moving our way through the meditation, which is another defilement, when we're just being present to all of those things without encouraging or discouraging their presence or absence, then it becomes radiant. And that's wisdom mind. That's the mind that isn't caught within each of the hindrance factors. Now the wisdom mind isn't safe. I don't mean it's not unsafe. I mean that from the sense of me, because I don't have a location in it, the sense of I doesn't feel safe. It feels confused and uprooted and it doesn't feel like it has a place, which it doesn't because it's a defilement too. In fact, it's only arising with the defilements. So as we're quieting out a little bit, this sense of I is also quieting out. But it can feel a little confusing if you haven't experienced it before. Remembering that the embodiment of I is the absence of wisdom helps you. In fact, the eye arises to preserve ignorance. The eye arises in order for the world to be known in its subject and object duality. And that way it can navigate and know things. And as it gets quiet, that duality ceases and it loses its authority. And that's why it maintains ignorance. What, you think you are the wise one here? It has nothing to do with us. Nothing. So with all of that, you see, I just wanted to give you those words. I wanted to invite you into a more traditional approach and you can see really it's saying the same thing that I said in the most of the talk that wisdom is the willingness to look and see. I free of pretension and imagination. I'm not going to imagine my way through life any longer. I'm not going to believe it's something in my head when without checking it out, in fact. And when I check it out, in fact, it never corresponds to my belief in the head. And so as I begin to release more and more of the assumptions I've made about life, the wider and more spacious consciousness becomes and I begin to act from wisdom mind. I begin to dwell, I, not I, but there is just wisdom mind arising. And that's the end of suffering. <laughs> Can we sit for a minute or two? So I, I realize I don't give you a lot of toys to play with 
in uh, your spiritual journey uh, through this these Tuesday nights. <clears throat> you can find those if you wish. I just feel like there, there needs to be some place that you can go in which it's not going to be distorted or pretended or, or diluted to my best ability. And then you can tune to this tuning fork if you wish or not. It's up to you. But my task here, as I perceive it, is to give you the clearest Dharma that I have, which isn't always fun to hear. Okay, so any questions or comments? Be happy to. Um, the, the idea of watching your thoughts and sort of doing a mild commentary on them, um, trying to figure out if they're true or repetitive or helpful, seems like sort of automatically appealing, but um, I think you might be saying to do something different that you should so she's talking about uh, uh, a modification of being quiet to a thought or to a situation or to experience where she uh, is speaking or trying to understand it through a kind of a discursive process quiet but not as noisy as most processes like that, but, uh, but whether uh, it can get quieter or not. So there is a factor of mind that is, uh, is, you just have to have some faith about. Faith will be another of our fundamentals. And that, that is uh, the, 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 uh, that you don't need to speak about it, that there is an intelligence in awareness that can see its value and limitation for you. That gathers that information, you might say. And that will, in its appropriate time, bring that forth. Uh, and so the quieter you become, but not forced quiet. You can't force yourself to be quiet any more than you can force yourself to go away. In fact, it's exactly the same effort. All you can do is surround the noise with quiet so that you're not listening to the noise personally, but you're listening to the noise as if it were noise impersonally, which is a very different way of listening, isn't it? So there's space around the noise. You're not consumed by the noise. In that way, the quiet has the last say, not the noise. Does that make sense? So always let the quiet have the last say because no matter how noisy we are, there can always be a listening to that noise if we so wish. There can always be another circumference around the noise, the concentric circle of the noise. There can be another circle around that called quiet. And so uh, many people make mistakes by trying to 
ha not have noise, which is a terrible mistake, or to try to talk yourself out of noise. In other words, shut up, be quiet. You don't have to, you know, now's not the time, you know, all that, which is, you can see what it is. Or you can just listen to it. Have you ever had a th song go off in your head over and over again? Well, if, as long as you're singing along, it's going to continue. You ever hear the phrase, face the music? Well, face the music. Just don't sing along with it. <laughs> and then that level of quiet can dissipate that. that. I mean, just, I don't like to make this too abstract, so just as we're speaking, often if there is a synergy of commitment in us, we can find a quiet we can find that quiet despite the noise that continues. So I don't know if others found it, but I certainly did. So it, never, let us never pretend or think that it's far away. If we want it, and you, then we'll show up for it. If we want the noise, we'll show up for that. See, it doesn't go any further than what we want. It just gives us what we want. If we want to continue to talk, then we'll continue to talk along with the talking. What's stopping us? But when we've seen how finite speaking is, or the, just thinking is, then something in you, an intention in you that you may not have even realized was there will show up at some point and just stop. Any other? Uh... Okay. Thank you all for this evening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.